Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesnov. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guest, Dr. Karsten Nicholas. Dr. Nicholas is an MD, PhD, and is the Medical and Executive Director of the BCA Clinic in Augsburg in Germany, founded in 2006. Dr. Nicholas has directed um, uh, this institute, and it specializes in tick-borne diseases, particularly Lyme disease. And this results from the proximity of his general practice in Augsburg to a nearby national park, the largest forest and recreation area in Western Bavaria. For more than 25 years, Dr. Nicholas has been confronted with patients having tick-borne diseases. He understands the complexity of the problem, especially concerning diagnosis, and he knows of the difficulties in terms of the diagnostics and therapy of Lyme disease and co-infections in particular, and has experience with the psychological strains of the patients in connection with their uncertainty. His experience in treating Lyme and co-infections over the last 25 years, as well as numerous national and international conferences, and the increase in Lyme disease patients led to the foundation of his BCA clinic in Augsburg, a treatment facility dedicated to this subject. So welcome, Dr. Nicholas. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure for me um, um, uh, to have this talk today. So first of all, we need to define our terms. So could you maybe briefly outline what is Lyme disease? So uh, Lyme disease is um, a bacterial infection uh, with Borrelia. Uh, this is a specific type of bacteria, so-called spirochetes, and um, um, uh, Borrelia uh, bacteria could be transmitted uh, via different vectors uh, uh, to humans as well. And um, this is uh, one uh, of our focuses here in the clinic to take care for patients who had contact um, with these um, uh, specific and very complicated bacteria um, because uh, Borrelia infection could lead to um, uh, uh, very severe health conditions uh, when it uh, became chronic. Right. So it's a bacterial infection which is transmitted via a tick bite. Is that correct? Yeah, mostly. That is uh, the, the most common um, vector is the tick. Um, so there are different types of tick spread worldwide and um, other biting or sucking insects could be also transmit the infection, uh, but this is more rarely fine. Okay, so even things like mosquitoes, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, well confirmed uh, in studies uh, from two universities in Finland, uh, from the University of Turku and Helsinki a couple of years ago, and uh, recently also confirmed by the uh, Senckenberg uh, Stiftung. This is a medical society in Europe, uh, in Germany, uh, in Frankfurt. Um, they had also found evidence of uh, transmission via normal mosquitoes. Wow! But we we but we are also aware of other um, uh, insects like horseflies and um, uh, and mites sometimes, uh, which could also uh, transmit the infection. What about things like fleas? Because I mean, a lot of people are pet owners, so even if they don't go out, their animals do. Yeah, I guess in single cases, fleas uh, could be also one of the vectors, but uh, fleas are more often seen for other so-called co-infection, um, uh, which are very close linked uh, to uh, uh, Borrelia infection or Lyme disease. So, you know, um, uh, today uh, we have noted that uh, if someone is infected with Lyme, yeah, he will be automatically have contact via the tick bite uh, with other germs as well. So it could be other bacteria, uh, which we uh, define as so-called co 
co-infection uh, like um, uh, Bartonella, like Rickettsial infection, uh, like uh, Ehrlichia infection um, or Anaplasma. Um, uh, or we see in patients um, having problems with Lyme disease, other uh, so-called secondary infection. Uh, infection. So um, uh, if we uh, if we see um, these uh, type of uh, 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 infections, it's more seen as a reactivation of airborne or food or uh, whatever transmitted infection at the same time. So it's becoming more and more complicated. So the uh, the um, infections only uh, with um, uh, mono infection with uh, with Borrelia is uh, relatively rarely seen. Okay. Okay. And so what actually happens when a, when a person is, is say bitten by a tick and the tick has to be infected with the, with the disease? What are the, what are the primary symptoms that, that one usually notices? So, so what could happen um, if you see a attached tick? Um, uh, um, uh, uh, it might lead to transmission of uh, Borrelia or um, the um, the other mentioned uh, bacterial or viral infection. Um, so, um, if um, if we see transmission of Borrelia, um, it will lead to um, uh, uh, to uh, the first stage of Lyme disease, um, mostly uh, linked to an uh, in fifty percent of the cases mostly linked uh, to uh, redness around uh, the tick attachment, uh, which is called a bullseye rash or erythema migrans. So this is a very safe sign um, that there was transmission of the bacterial infection. Unfortunately, again, um, the erythema migrans or bullseye rash uh, is only present in around 50% of the cases. Um, other typical symptoms in acute stages could be um, uh, flu-like uh, symptoms. That means after some days, uh, you can present myalgia, atralgia, um, uh, tiredness, and uh, sometimes some some fever, but uh, without a running nose. If that happens in summertime uh, or in autumn or springtime, and if you are living in a high endemic area or if you are exposed uh, to possible ticks, um, uh, keep that also in mind. Okay, so. Obviously, prevention is better than cure. Um, are, are you familiar? I know in Germany, I lived in Germany for many years, and that's, that's sort of a, a bit of a hotbed for, for Lyme, uh, Lyme's disease and, and tick-borne diseases. In the UK, it's also now becoming fairly prevalent, which is why we're having this talk. Um, I read recently that there are about two to 3,000 new cases every year. Yeah, I guess uh, that is definitely much underestimated. Uh, you know, um, I know about these uh, officially numbers um, of acute infections every year. Um, so I guess uh, the problem is uh, much, uh, much bigger, um, as it seems, uh, based on uh, two or three thousand um, uh, uh, acute infections every year. Uh, so we had the same uh, in Germany many years ago when um, the, uh, when we haven't been so focused on that issue. Uh, there have been reports about uh, Twenty to 40,000 new infection, which is quite higher, 10 times higher of the actual re, um, uh, reports uh, from UK. Uh, meanwhile, um, officially, we have up, uh, up to 100,000 um, new infections every year. Um, but um, uh, our believing is based on uh, different other uh, scientific sources. Um, uh, it could be even more. Uh, so um, the reports of only 2,000, um, 2 to 3,000 uh, new infections in UK um, is definitely underestimated. It could be based on 
um, on um, the lack of uh, knowledge or experience in dealing uh, with uh, such um, uh, infectious diseases um, uh, or uh, due to other reasons as well. So um, uh, we have uh, we have uh, uh, we have uh, seen and treated over the past three years um, uh, a minimum uh, 1,500 uh, patients from UK. So which is quite a high number compared to these um, uh, new infections. Uh, reported new infections uh, every year. Wow, that's really quite significant. And so what I have noticed, there are different areas in UK, uh, which seems to me, for me, high endemic. Uh, so that is uh, definitely uh, the southwest of England, um, uh, the Northland district. Um, uh, we have um, uh, also uh, got uh, reports or epidemiological data um, uh, from other parts of the UK. Uh, it's high endemic in Scotland um, and uh, even in the wonderful parks in London, uh, um, uh, we have noticed a problem with ticks, so that is similar to Germany. So in Munich, um, the city where I'm uh, living very close, has also a so-called English garden, and uh, there's um, uh, there's uh, there's a big problem meanwhile with ticks. And uh, we have noticed in collecting the ticks and looking into the ticks that uh, around 50% of these ticks are infected with Lyme disease. And uh, I have heard about similar uh, problems um, uh, in the uh, in the uh, in the parks in London. Wow. Wow. That really is quite amazingly significant. So is is the incidence of Lyme actually rising or um, is it is it that we're that we're actually just being able to diagnose it better and notice the symptoms better? No, so I'm uh, act, uh, I'm now in the field um, of tick-borne diseases for um, uh, uh, exactly 28 years, and um, there's definitely since 15 years a constant trend uh, of rising numbers every year. And this is not only seen for Lyme disease; uh, we uh, see the same trend for uh, the other tick-borne diseases, um, like um, uh, again, like Bartonella, Ehrlichia, Babesia, um, uh, definitely uh, constantly increasing numbers. And is that a global warming phenomenon or changing um, the environment? So, um, uh, so this is my suggestion. Uh, so based on the climate change, uh, based on the global warming, um, the, um, uh, in the in the habits of ticks, um, uh, it's much easier for them to grow up. And um, so that is what uh, we are noticing uh, since a long time, you know. Um, so I could remember very well 10 years back or 15 years uh, back. So in some countries there had been only some specific areas um, um, uh, uh, which had been very well known for being endemic for ticks. But meanwhile, um, uh, we can see all parts of Germany, all parts of UK, all parts of other European countries um, have a big problem with Lyme disease. And uh, again, uh, constantly increasing numbers of new infections and um, uh, uh, right now of course i never want to discourage everyone anyone from going out and getting into nature and enjoying it so so first of all the myth, there's a myth of of ticks falling from trees that doesn't happen um they do tend to be exactly. more in long grass correct um so could you just maybe briefly highlight what's what's a good way for somebody to behave when they're out in what could be a risk area and what do they do should they actually spot a tick 
Yeah, that's uh, also um, we have the same aim. It's not my aim to uh, to spread um, uh, anxiety or fear um, um, uh, for uh, getting any of these tick-borne diseases. So, um, um, so my aim is to go out into the nature to join the nature, um, but um, uh, to protect yourself, um, which is uh, quite easy uh, possible. So. Um, uh, you, you should wear the right clothes. Um, um, if you go outside in, uh, in, uh, in grass, uh, grassland or bushland or even into the woods. Um, so, um, uh, the right clothes is, uh, one of the best prevention. Uh, you can use on top, um, so-called repellents. So this could be an, a specific sprays which you can put directly on the clothes or some of them are uh, not very toxic, uh, toxic. So, you can use that directly on the skin. Um, and uh, the smell of these repellents is pretty bad uh, for uh, sucking or biting insects or spiders um, uh, like uh, like ticks. Um, um, so um, uh, on average, um, going for uh, some of these repellents, you can be additionally protected at least for some uh, something between two and six hours um, on top uh, to the uh, close protection. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, if you uh, if you have finished with your leisure or outdoor activities, uh, it's very important um, to check yourself on um, uh, possible tick attachments um, um, before having a shower in the evening. So, and um, uh, keep in mind that. Um, um, these ticks could be seen in three different stages. So um, a very tiny one at the larvae stage, and uh, this is pretty um, complicated to find the larvae um, on your skin. Um, uh, and the larvae are more risky for um, smaller children, so toddlers are lying um, uh, on the grass or something. So the skin of adults is even um, a bit um, harder, so it's pretty hard for larvae. Uh, to attach and um, uh, and to get a blood meal. Um, so it's different with the second uh, stage of, uh, for the ticks, the so-called intermediate stage or nymphal stage. Um, this is uh, one of the biggest risks actually for humans. So um, the, uh, the, the nymphs are uh, around 1 to 1.3 millimeters, even a bit um, uh, taller than, uh, than the larvae. Um, but also uh, uh, very um, uh, very dangerous because um, they are um, uh, carrying the same um, uh, bacterial infection uh, than the adults, and uh, even nymphs are uh, are not so easy uh, to uh, uh, to find on uh, on your on your body. So, and um, uh, it's important to know that um, ticks um, um, are slowly crawling uh, over your skin, and that it could need several hours before they find an ideal place uh, on your body uh, for the attachments. So that could be in the head area, uh, very close uh, to the hair. That could be um, uh, um, uh, um, at protected area behind your ears or um, 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 on the backside of your knees. Um, uh, so um, they are looking really uh, for a relatively safe place. 
And um, the easiest um, um, would be uh, to see an adult tick uh, because they are uh, much bigger than the other uh, stages. And, um, uh, and you know, um, the, the problem compared to larvae and, uh, and the nymphs is uh, you need a mostly uh, specific device to remove the ticks. Uh, so, uh, and this is different for the larvae or for the, uh, for the, for the nymphs. They could be scratched with your fingernails uh, without noticing it. And, um, this is not possible with adult ticks. So, um, if you, um, if you, um, uh, if you, um, get the feeling of such an attachment, um, uh, uh, you will always uh, need a device uh, for the removal. Right. Because otherwise the jaw gets left behind. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I remember in, in Germany, I had this brilliant little thing. It looked like a credit card with a, with a slash in yeah, it. Yeah. So and, there, and there are many, many different devices. So the really in car, um, uh, so, um, so we have a lime lasso. Um, and, uh, so I guess there's a bunch of 15 or uh, 20 different devices to remove the ticks. Um, so most of them are available here in Germany via drugstores or pharmacies. Um, you know, uh, um, we have talked about the increasing, um, uh, risk of, um, uh, uh, of tick-borne diseases. So, um, I guess in all pharmacies or all drugstores, uh, you will find, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, a good equipment to, for the tick removal. Great. Now, you said that um, only about 50% of people who actually get bitten by an infected tick will show this this bullseye um, um, erythema, this, this redness and swelling. So what should somebody do if they find a tick and they've been bitten and they don't immediately see this? Um, just wait for symptoms to arrive? Is there anything they should undertake quickly? Yeah, you know, um, so the risk could be lowered um, by um, um, uh, by uh, um, by a fast removal. So um, the the uh, the the time of intet- of uh, attachment will definitely higher the risk of transmission of the infection. Um, so in some uh, sources you can read that there's no risk within the first 24 hours, um, but um, this is not really based on good science. So um, uh, I'm aware of patients who had uh, tick attachment uh, only for some minutes, but um, uh, they got um, the uh, uh, severe forms of uh, infections later on. Um, but um, uh, again, um, as longer the tick are uh, attached, as longer they are sucking your blood, as higher the risk is uh, for transmission of Borrelia and sometimes uh, for um, some of these co-infection as well. So uh, the source is mostly uh, very, um, uh, very deep in the, uh, in the gut of ticks. Um, so the highest number of Borrelia is located there. And while sucking um, at the host, um, there's an um, inverse effect. So moving upwards uh, to the, um, uh, to the host um, of Borrelia. And again, as longer um, the tick is attached, as higher the risk of transmission is. Um, so that means, um, uh, uh, vice versa, as early as you remove the tick, as lower the risk of transmission is. Okay. And um, this could be done by yourself or um, by uh, another person, or if you don't have any experience in tick removals, um, then it's definitely appropriate uh, to contact um, a GP or um, uh, uh, other doctor for the removal. 
And um, after the removal uh, of the tick, um, uh, and um, if there is no signs of any redness, means uh, bullseye rash or erythema, you should observe um, uh, for a certain time um, 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 uh, this area uh, because um, the uh, skin uh, changes could be present sometimes uh, first after one week or even later. Uh, it depends uh, on the number of um, uh, of um, the uh, Borrelia which could be transmitted uh, via uh, via the attachment. And uh, if there is no redness, um, uh, we uh, or I personally recommend uh, latest um, if you are living in a high endemic area where. Um, onset of uh, Lyme disease is uh, pretty well known, uh, then it's uh, definitely recommendable earliest after two and a half or three weeks um, uh, to go um, um, uh, for a blood test to find out um, if you're uh, if you have got the the infection or if you're free of any um, Borrelia bacteria. Okay, that leads me very nicely into the next problem that I know about Lyme, which is the diagnostic procedure in itself. It's apparently very unreliable. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, uh, this is uh, also one of the um, big uh, challenges regarding tick-borne diseases, um, the appropriate um, uh, testing. So, uh, unfortunately, we have noticed um, uh, that uh, some of the tests are not accurate enough um, uh, to get real good um, diagnostic. Um, uh, with other words, in most of the European countries, um, um, it is recommended to go for two-tier testing. That means uh, the first test, which is called ELISA testing, um, uh, should find out if there was any contact um, with ticks. Um, because if so, uh, you will notice in the ELISA testing um, uh, so-called antibodies against Borrelia. And in uh, acute stages, um, uh, you will find IgM antibodies. Um, um, if um, a patient will show up with IgG antibodies, it was not the first contact, so uh, there was a former um, uh, contact as well. Um, so um, uh, we know exactly that the ELISA testing um, uh, could be um, a seronegative in a minimum of 50% of the cases. That means the sensitivity is pretty bad, and that could lead um, uh, to the fact that every second patient uh, couldn't be uh, detected as a Lyme patient. And um, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the, the uh, acute stage uh, could be um, uh, very inapparent. That means you can get the infection without presenting uh, at first any symptoms and complaints. And um, so it's not unusual to see patients who get the infection very early in lifehood being a child and the outbreak of the illness much later after uh, sometimes uh, many months, years or sometimes decades. Um, this is something we see here most often in our clinic. Um, uh, so, um, uh, unfortunately, the two-tier testing means you have always to go first for an ELISA testing, and only um, in case of a positive means pathological finding, detection of Borrelia, um, uh, you should go for confirmation for a second testing called Western blood or immunoblood testing. Um, uh, this type of testing um, is much more accurate and more uh, and uh, with a higher sensitivity. So again, ELISA is around 50% uh, sensitive. The Western blot uh, on average between 90 and 95%, which is quite good for a lab uh, for a lab test. 
Um, but unfortunately, um, you have to start with ELISA. If the ELISA is negative, um, it's um, uh, uh, based on the national rules. It's not allowed uh, to go uh, on the second testing um, uh, to confirm or to um, uh, to rule out uh, Lyme disease. And uh, this is one of the big uh, challenges um, uh, I have seen so far in the past nearly 30 years. Um, uh, so, um, uh, based on our um, um, expertise and um, and um, um, and knowledge, it would be better uh, instead of the ELISA test to start immediately with the Western blot. Uh, so again, uh, the chance is um, up to ninety to ninety-five percent, and um, uh, so it's uh, it's much more accurate, and the chance of the detection is much higher, uh, which leads um, uh, a, uh, after a relatively short time of testing. So the results are available within uh, forty-eight hours uh, to see where we are and to start, if needed, immediately treatment. And um, uh, so, but um, this is pretty the same in all the different uh, European countries and also in North America means Canada and the US. Um, uh, so for this reason, uh, we have introduced um, a long time ago, additionally, uh, test systems, even uh, to get better information uh, regarding these uh, tick-borne diseases. So um, the, um, the, um, the testing on um, so the immunological testing on antibody is uh, is one um, uh, uh, one option. Uh, we have introduced um, uh, a cellular testing um, in addition, um, which is definitely more sensitive and gives us uh, very early, uh, sometimes um, after a couple of days uh, after the tick bite, first evidence of um, uh, of uh, Lyme disease or other tick-borne diseases. Uh, so this is a very big advantage um, uh, to get uh, this uh, information uh, much earlier than uh, uh, as based on the two-tier testing. And uh, again, as earlier as you start with uh, treatment, as better your prognosis. So in the acute stages, means stage one, and mostly uh, this includes multi- mostly stage two as well, um, you have uh, nearly always 100% chance of uh, recovery and full improvement. Um, but important is uh, the earliest possible start. If you miss um, uh, this um, um, uh, this time frame, um, then uh, we see most often uh, much later uh, patients coming in into our clinic um, with uh, chronic stages of Lyme disease or other tick-borne diseases or late-stage Lyme. And uh, then it's much more complicated to get rid of these uh, bacterial infections. Right. Another problem regarding uh, testings um, in the ELISA or Western blot testing is the presence of different strains of Borrelia. Um, we know uh, there uh, there are many many different strains spread worldwide, and um, so um, the the most important ones in England or in UK, and this is similar to uh, to Germany or the other European countries, um, are three uh, strains of Borrelia. So Borrelia burgdorferi is the Borrelia strain, which is mes- uh, which is uh, mostly responsible for all the musculoskeletal uh, uh, problems, I mean joint pain, um, uh, muscle pain, and uh, some some tiredness and uh, weakness. Um, uh, a second strain called Borrelia garinii. Um, this is a strain which is causing most often neurological issues. Could be a Bell's palsy, for example. Could be a paresis of one of the eye muscles, or um, could be responsible uh, for other uh, impact into the nerve system. 
um, uh, so um, uh, the Garini's chain um, is um, more often seen in Europe than the Brogdorferi's chain. And uh, this chain is also widespread in all the different parts of Asia. Um, so this is important to know. And the third, uh, main, uh, the uh, third strain um, of Borrelia, uh, which is mostly seen in Europe, is Borrelia afselii. Afselii is the strain which is causing skin problems. So in acute stages, it could be the erythema migrans. And um, we can see this uh, strain also uh, in chronic forms, uh, presenting later on in patients something which we call uh, acrodermatitis. Uh, this is a specific uh, skin, uh, uh, skin um, issue on the surface of your hands or the surface of your feet. Um, so the, uh, there's also in some kind of redness and a very vulnerable skin, um, uh, which is um, mostly seen as approval for chronic Lyme as well. The problem in UK uh, was all the time that uh, they have only uh, tested on Borrelia uh, burgdorferi and uh, Borrelia afselii. So, um, so in the standard testing, uh, Garini is not included, and that could also lead um, to false uh, negative um, uh, results in the testings. Right. Can you go on and um, describe a little more about the more of, of Lyme, um, the neurological disease, for example, I know is is a big issue. I, I know of several people personally that, that were in, originally diagnosed, in fact, with MS and then later yeah. found out to actually have Lyme disease. So this is obviously a real problem um, from the yeah. diagnostic and symptomatic and treatment perspective. Yeah, and this is what I can also uh, totally confirm. Um, you know, sometimes the differentiation uh, between um, uh, neuroboliosis, that means if uh, the um, bacteria has uh, invaded into uh, different parts of the nerve system, could be the brain, could be the cranial nerves, uh, could be the peripheral nerve system, um, um, it can cause health condition, uh, which are uh, very similar um, uh, to the health condition um, uh, seen in patients with MS, multiple sclerosis, or uh, even in other neurological um, uh, uh, illnesses like ALS or motor neuron diseases. Um, uh, so uh, if some, and this is the problem, especially uh, more seen in countries uh, where um, the uh, testing um, uh, on Borrelia Garini is not included in the normal conventional diagnostic. Um, so again, the differentiation uh, between uh, neuroboliosis and um, these neurological issues could be really a challenge. Um, so I have also seen and treated uh, many patients who had been pre-diagnosed with MS, pre-diagnosed with um, uh, ALS, um, but uh, never uh, responding very well on the typical MS uh, um, uh, medication. Uh, so um, uh, today's morning, um, I had a patient from Romania, and uh, he got uh, in summer 2015, uh, 2017 the diagnosis of MS in Bucharest. Um, uh, so uh, immediately after getting the diagnosis, um, the patient was put on the MS uh, typical uh, medication, um, but um, he didn't uh, respond very well with improvement, um, so he deteriorated more and more. So it was not possible to continue, and uh, the doctors had to quit uh, the treatment. So much later, um, that was in autumn last year, um, uh, uh, another doctor uh, from uh, uh, a different hospital 
um, who was um, aware of, um, um, of big issues in Romania with Lyme disease uh, went on um, blood tests uh, to rule out or to confirm Lyme disease. And um, so one of the testing showed up positive, the other negative. And um, so at the end of the day, um, they decided to go um, um, uh, um, on testing of another body fluid, the so-called spinal fluid. And uh, in the spinal fluid, uh, Borrelia antibodies um, had been seen. Um, so that was uh, evidence and confirmation for um, um, uh, for neuroborreliosis. And um, uh, um, after getting the diagnosis, the patient got um, uh, IV treatment with specific antibiotic. And this was the first time uh, with, um, within two years uh, that he has noticed uh, improvement for all the symptoms and complaints. So um, again, um, uh, it's sometimes pretty hard to differentiate between um, a clear uh, neurological diagnosis and, um, and uh, onset of some of these um, uh, tick-borne diseases. Okay. Just to clarify for my own understanding, is neuroborreliosis something different from just being infected with the type of bacteria that infects the nervous system? Yes. You know, um, uh, yes. Um, yes and no. Uh, so yes means, um, so we have in general three stages of Lyme disease or of Borrelia infection. The first um, stage is the acute infection, mostly um, represented by an erythema migrans or these flu-like um, symptoms. Um, if Borrelia uh, could get access um, uh, into the bloodstream um, via an acute tick bite, it could also lead uh, to a stage which is called the stage of dissemination of Lyme disease. Means uh, that Borrelia can um, invade or attack um, in one single organ system. That could be, for example, the heart. That could be the brain. That could be um, um, uh, other part of the uh, nervous system um, or the liver or the kidney or the lungs, whatever it is. Yeah, and uh, this means is also we are we are still um, in uh, in an acute acute stage, um, but uh, the onset of symptoms is specific. Uh, only for one organ system. Um, and um, uh, if this um, uh, um, if this stage um, is not um, uh, accurately uh, treated, uh, it could lead to chronic infections. Yeah. And if the nerve system, especially the brain, is um, uh, is uh, affected with Lyme disease, then we call it neuroboliosis. Yeah, that means invasion of the bacteria into any part of the nerve system. Right, now I understand. So these little beasties can actually cross the blood-brain barrier? Uh, exactly. That's not good news. Oh, good. Okay, so let's move on now to treatment. So you've mentioned already the standard treatment, certainly in the acute phase, is, is a, um, an antibiotic therapy Um what happens if that doesn't work or how often does it work? How effective does it work? So, um, uh, so uh, in general, I have to mention, so in the acute stages, if you start accurate treatment, um, uh, it will lead really to good outcome. So uh, so there's no 100% in medicine, but we are very close to 100% if you start um, uh, immediately after um, presenting an erythema migrants or these flu-like symptoms, or if you have evidence uh, based on lab tests um, with antibiotics, um, uh, you will get really uh, good outcoming results. Only if there's another problem uh, known, so intolerance or resistance to antibiotics, 
um, if uh, that leads to non-responding, it could um, make trouble later on. But in general, uh, the acute stages are easier um, treatable uh, than chronic stages. Um, uh, this is clear. Um, if we um, so uh, stage one um, is relatively easy to treat. Um, uh, so the challenge is to start um, as soon as as possible to get the best outcome. Uh, in stage two, this is this acute stage of dissemination. Uh, the treatment could be a bit more complicated. It's also based on conventional antibiotics, mostly mono treatment uh, with cephalosporines or tetracyclines, uh, which could be given in oral or in IV form. So if the uh, if the general uh, status shaven condition um, is um, is pretty bad in um, in this uh, acute stage of dissemination, um, uh, it would be more recommendable to uh, go directly on IV treatment uh, for at least uh, two to three or two to four weeks. It depends which organ system is affected. And uh, the challenge starts even more in the chronic stages or late state uh, Lyme. Um, so that means uh, the definition is if, um, uh, if symptoms and complaints are um, um, uh, longer seen than six months, uh, we are talking about chronic stage um, or late stage Lyme. And um, this could uh, definitely, uh, or the treatment uh, of these stages could be definitely a bit more complicated. Um, one reason is um, that um, in chronic stages, uh, Borrelia could be seen in different shapes in the body. So not anymore only in this uh, spirochetal shape, which is snake-like or um, uh, like a driller, um, uh, like a drill. Um, uh, so um, since mid of the 19th, uh, there was first evidence uh, reported by one of the research department um, uh, uh, from Harvard Medical School in Boston, um, uh, uh, published by Professor Lida Metman, uh, that there's something else besides original spirochetes. And um, there was first seen evidence um, to, um, um, uh, of so-called cystic forms. Uh, this is an intermediate shape of Borrelia um, uh, and part of uh, um, their uh, survival mechanism. You know, um, if uh, Borrelia is very tricky, and um, so one says is, uh, Borrelia is one of the intelligence bacterias um, uh, which we uh, which we know so far. And um, based um, on um, uh, this much bigger genome uh, compared to other bacterias, um, uh, Borrelia is able. Um, uh, to start complex uh, activity. That means they can hide in different areas of the host organism. Uh, they can um, uh, change uh, their surface, means they can switch into another body sh uh, shape. And um, uh, this is uh, sometimes uh, impossible for the host immune system um, uh, to um, identify uh, this different shape. And this is well known for the, for, in former times we call it cystic forms. Meanwhile, it's called uh, round body forms and uh, the surface of round body forms is presenting different antigens um, and, um, as uh, the spirochetal form and that could also lead to some uh, problems in diagnostic as well so the conventional uh, test systems uh, that is um, uh, still um, uh, seen for the ELISA and Western blot we have uh, discussed before uh, they, are, uh, they have not included the antigens of the round body forms or uh, different other shapes of Borrelia, and that could lead in chronic forms also to seronegativity. 
Um, again, um, uh, to complete your question regarding treatment, if someone is suffering from chronic forms of uh, Lyme disease, um, the, the treatment uh, could be uh, uh, more complicated. Um, so especially um, uh, thinking about all the different shapes, um, it's not any more possible to be uh, to target and to kill uh, these different shapes um, uh, via one antibiotic, means uh, via uh, only a tetracycline or only a cephalosporine. Um, uh, mostly you will need combination of different antibiotics and these combinations should be able um, uh, to target the different shapes of Borrelia and should also include um, a possible co-infection at the same time. Um, uh, if that uh, fits perfect, uh, then you have relatively good chances of getting rid of the uh, chronic bacterial infection. But it will need a certain time. Um, so we are telling patients, so based on our experience, um, uh, long-term experience, um, the treatment uh, could be eventually uh, longer than, uh, so somewhere on average between two and six months or even longer. It depends on the um, uh, on the um, uh, uh, on the uh, presence of uh, all the different symptoms and complaints in patients. Right. I know in your clinic, though, that you also um, provide additional uh, treatment modalities um, to supplement. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. as far as the infection is concerned, antibiotics, first line of defense, no argument there. Um, but uh, what are some of the things that you use in your in your clinic in addition? Um, that is also an interesting question. Um, so, um, uh, uh, in general, so uh, you know, there's always a certain uh, group of patients um, who don't tolerate antibiotics, or um, uh, they have um, intolerances or allergies uh, that you can't use um, the conventional antibiotics. And then uh, you need um, alternative solutions. And um, uh, fortunately, uh, we have meanwhile um, uh, really a big bunch of uh, different um, uh, approaches even to support these patients. That could be based on um, uh, naturopathic remedies. Uh, that could be uh, based on uh, Chinese herbs. Uh, that could be based on homeopathy, for example. So uh, many different approaches, which also, um, um, uh, 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 based on this, you can also get really good outcoming results, but it will take even longer time. Um, it's a much smoother treatment um, without less or no risk, um, but um, the treatment, length of treatment is minimum two to three times longer as based on the conventional treatment. So that leads also um, more and more to intermediate protocol. That means uh, we try to combine um, conventional antibiotics together with, uh, for example, um, uh, herbal antimicrobials. And this is uh, also a very good approach. Um, uh, going on this uh, combination, um, um, you will get really uh, on a bit smoother um, uh, protocol, um, really good outcoming results with less risk and uh, less side effects for patients. And um, we have started very all, uh, early, so around 15 years ago, uh, with first um, approaches um, based on uh, these combinations. And that is until uh, so far pretty well running. And I guess um, uh, it will be even more in the future because we are getting uh, every year a notice of new and uh, better herbal extracts and 
Um, and um, um, uh, so we are uh, always going for uh, first experimental trials, uh, um, uh, later so in so-called in vitro trials, uh, later on on uh, clinical trials to find out if there's any chance of optimization of the treatment. And another um, uh, a big uh, and important point um, in treatment of Lyme disease is um, what we call the three eyes. So um, the first eye is represented by the infection. That is actually what we have discussed, the use of um, conventional or herbal antimicrobials. Um, another um, influence could be seen on local or general inflammation. That means if we are dealing with chronic infections, automatically you will have a big problem with local or generally, um, uh, general uh, inflammation at the same time. And inflammation could uh, sometimes uh, lead to the same symptoms and complaints. So that uh, could make also some trouble for the different uh, differentiation. That means to determine um, the, the best or the adequate uh, treatment. So if someone has still a more problem with um, with the germs, mean the bacteria, uh, then it's appropriate uh, to go um, again on antibiotics. But if the symptoms and complaints are more based on still presence of inflammatory processes, uh, the treatment should be completely different. Then we need something uh, which is downscaling uh, the inflammation. And there's also a huge bunch of different herbal substances available um, uh, for that task. And uh, the uh, the third uh, eye is representing immune deficiency or immuno, um, um, uh, immune um, uh, immunosuppression. That means uh, if someone is um, uh, suffering from chronic health condition, like chronic infection, like chronic inflammation, that leads also automatically on immunosuppression. That means uh, the host uh, immune system um, is very weak, uh, is not able um, uh, uh, to run all the tasks um, which is affordable um, uh, for um, uh, uh, for a restorage or recovery um, of the uh, of the patient. And um, what we have learned is that, especially at the beginning, uh, patients um, have a need for additionally uh, immunosupport. And um, uh, there are also many, many different approaches to reach that goal. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. That seems like a very holistic and... Uh, and yeah, no, that is... So, you know, um, when I have seen my first Lyme patient, that was exactly in wintertime 1990, um, I have to mention that I had no clue. Um, I was only focused on Borrelia. So we had these two testings available here in Germany, ELISA and Western Blot. And if it was positive, we started with antibiotics uh, for uh, at the beginning for three weeks and nothing else. Um, so, um, uh, so um, after uh, having seen some patient, I noticed um, that not all of my patients um, responded um, very well on what we now call short-term treatment. So treatment between two and three weeks. And um, so it was obvious that um, these patients had um, uh, um, in 1990 or in the in the next years. Um, had definitely chronic stages of Lyme disease and, um, and uh, very often the, um, the normal treatment failed. So, um, uh, I had to find a solution and, um, coincidentally, um, I have done a lot of immunological research, um, during the eighties. Um, I was part of the, uh, immunological, uh, department, uh, of a transplant center in Munich and, um, uh, we uh, did a lot of research 
um, even to find out better testing and transplantation, even to find out as early as possible onset of bacterial or viral infection. And um, uh, so um, uh, based on this experience, I had also um, access to a very big network worldwide. And uh, it was interesting. So uh, we had also um, uh, counterparts in the Boston area. And uh, when I um, uh, uh, when I kept in contact with one of these guys, um, I got uh, the information that um, uh, that there had been some uh, he called it crazy guys um, uh, who, uh, who who had treated patient with extension um, of um, the treatment protocol. So and uh, so I had no clue about this. And yeah, um, and one of these guys uh, told me that he had contact um, uh, with Professor Burgdorfer who had found a Borrelia in the gut of the ticks um, uh, at the end or uh, at the beginning of the 80s and uh, Professor Burgdorfer was an entomologist not an MD or a physician um, but um, Burgdorfer mentioned um, so if he would decide he would extend the treatment protocol because of the life cycle of Borrelia and his recommendation uh, was to go minimum on two life cycles, uh, which was around um, eight to uh, eight to ten weeks. Yeah, and that is exactly what I did uh, with my first uh, patient when I started my first long-term treatment. It was exactly eight weeks. Yeah, and um, this patient uh, was uh, um, uh, diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, uh, five or six years before, and uh, he got um, 13 times uh, for two weeks doxycycline without any uh, response and uh, without any improvement. And when we extended um, 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 uh, in the 14th uh, uh, treatment, uh, the length of treatment uh, up to eight weeks, after four weeks, this guy started first time uh, with first improvements. And um, so after eight weeks, um, he was really uh, improved in around, I would say, 70 to 80 percent, which was quite good compared uh, to his former status. And um, then um, um, uh, he got a break for some time and um, he was nearly symptom free for at least uh, another year when he stepped in uh, again into my practice asking uh, for the next two months trial with doxycycline. And um, uh, so we repeated at that time in this patient um, the, uh, the long-term treatment um, uh, uh, for four times. And uh, then he was uh, really 100% recovered. And that was a breakthrough for me um, with a completely new experience. And this was a milestone in my practice. And, um, you know, um, I have opened this practice um, 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 uh, in a high endemic area, uh, which uh, I wasn't aware of. Yeah? And so that means uh, months uh, by months, especially in the um, tick season, um, uh, uh, came into my practice asking uh, for treatment and uh, and support. And um, so um, after some time, so even when, uh, if patient didn't uh, start it in a proper uh, way on short-term treatment, I extended the treatment uh, when it was indicated. And that uh, had led uh, to really, uh, really good outcome. And um, uh, so uh, after some years, I got more and more experience. Wonderful. So there really is hope for people with chronic Lyme. Yes, for sure. Uh, so we can't promise in all cases 100% improvement, uh, definitely not, and even not for chronic stages. 
but there's um, there's really a good chance um, of getting very good improvement uh, in a certain percentage and um, even um, um, a good uh, so full improvement and uh, in a, another uh, good percentage um, additional improvement but uh, we have also to mention uh, that um, so um, so in around uh, five to seven percent um, even uh, these approaches um, uh, could fail and um, uh, we also see uh, a certain um, uh, a group of patients uh, who are not responding uh, on any treatment for some of them uh, we know meanwhile the reason so there could be uh, changes on um, uh, in the subtype on the HLADR locus um, uh, so meanwhile there are three subtypes known um, uh, when patients uh, do not uh, respond in a proper way on the use of antibiotics regarding Lyme disease. If that happens, um, it's uh, bad for the patient because then they don't have any chance uh, to get um, a recovery um, uh, based on antimicrobials like the conventional one, like antibiotics. Um, but uh, there's a good chance, uh, but it will take even longer uh, to put these patients on herbal antimicrobials. Um, so there's uh, finally uh, still um, a chance of improvement. Well, that's that's great news. If there was one piece of information you could give a patient, I, I know there's probably a whole load of people out there now who have a whole load of symptoms that they have been from one doctor to the other for years and years and years, and they haven't had any resolution and are now thinking, that's it, I have Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. What would you tell a patient in, in this condition? They can't, unfortunately, all come from London to see you, or perhaps they yeah. can. Maybe you'll tell us that. Yeah. Um, but what would you recommend a patient in that condition do? But, you know, um, uh, so one of the first steps could be um, if uh, these patients had access before to the normal testing uh, showing up with seronegativity, um, um, uh, then it's important to know there are uh, many different other tests, meanwhile, available uh, just to get still a confirmation of uh, suggested or suspected uh, infection with Borrelia, or that is also seen for some of the co-infection, like Bartonella and Babesia, um, uh, for sure. Um, so uh, my hope is, um, so um, um, I, I'm uh, since a long time a member of ILETS, which is one of the biggest uh, medical uh, scientific group um, uh, here in the field of tick-borne diseases, and um, uh, eight years um, as a, um, a board director, and I was uh, I was um, at the board for the educational foundation. That means one of my uh, aims was. Um, uh, to train doctors in the field, and that is what we have done here in Augsburg uh, for a long time. So um, Augsburg is one of the uh, Michelin is one of the training uh, centers uh, for physicians, um, and uh, this could be um, uh, supported um, by the medical society. Um, so since uh, 2006, uh, we have um, uh, trained. Uh, more than 1,200 doctors here in our facility. And this is um, uh, most important to spread the knowledge and to spread the experience, um, uh, uh, finally to identify uh, via diagnostic um, the, the patient who could be suffering from Lyme or any other of these tick-borne diseases. And um, this is the first step. The second step is uh, to start treatment. And um, uh, unfortunately, that is still one of the challenges in UK. As you know, um, uh, there's uh, only a very restricted access um, uh, to the testings um, uh, via port and down. Um, this is one challenge. And the other challenge is 
um, that um, uh, we haven't seen so much open-minded doctors so far in England taking care uh, for the um, uh, constantly increasing risk of tick-borne diseases. Um, this um, is one of the reasons to explain the high numbers of uh, UK patients coming uh, uh, um, uh, here to Germany um, here in our clinic or in other clinics um, finally to get the diagnosis uh, to get the diagnosis and uh, to start treatment. And uh, we are actually trying everything to build uh, uh, to to train more and more doctors in UK, and um, uh, that there are more and more locations where patients could find support. So in two weeks, I will be again in UK, and I have a meeting with two doctors who are actually thinking about setting up a treatment center. Um, um, so uh, there's one in uh, uh, or there. There are meanwhile several doctors uh, or physicians taking care for Lyme patients, and um, uh, we are trying everything um, uh, to increase that number. So uh, more and more access uh, to people um, and patients from the UK of getting uh, diagnostic and, uh, and treatment finally. Great. Well, thank you so much for all the masses of useful information. Um, so if I, if I can just quickly summarize for everybody out there, first of all, prevention. So uh, make sure you dress properly when you go out into nature and check, especially with children. Um, my daughter had a tick twice and both times it was actually just in the hairline as exactly mm-hmm. as you described. Um, luckily, no problems. Um, second line is then obviously to get uh, very quickly diagnosed and treated uh, within a short period of time, if at all possible. And thirdly, if sadly you've missed that boat and you have now gone into a more chronic disease phase, is to, to look people like yourselves up and places that offer much more extensive knowledge and also treatment options. Does that, is that a fair summary? Exactly. That's, that's a very good summary and um, is really pointing out um, what the issues are. Uh, we definitely will put links on the podcast notes to your website, to your clinic website. There's a super load of information there for people, even if they don't get in touch with you directly. Of course, the best thing would be something like a, um, a, a blood spot um, diagnostic that people could then actually maybe send in remote. Um, and this is this is um, uh, uh, this is definitely one of the uh, chances very soon. Um, so um, uh, our clinic was part of an international research program um, uh, which was funded and supported by the European Commission together with other internationally uh, scientific partners. We have developed um, a new type of diagnostic, uh, so a so-called um, a microchip biochip um, so this is um, um, uh, this is uh, similar to the measurement of the uh, blood sugar for example you need uh, in the future only a tiny bit blood um, uh, uh, blood here and um, uh, so uh, put this on the biochip and so within 20 minutes it will be possible uh, to be checked on um, uh, 11 um, uh, different uh, tick-borne diseases in a very accurate uh, uh, way with um, uh, highest possible sensitivity and uh, so the biochip is um, uh, well developed uh, the reader to get the results and uh, the software and uh, we have also um, uh, developed a new bunch of antigens including the ones uh, which you can find on the surface 
of the round bodies. And uh, actually, we are in negotiation uh, with uh, possible investors to put that um, uh, new um, uh, diagnostic tool as fast as possible on the market, um, because this is very fast, very accurate, and um, and also um, uh, very uh, less expensive uh, uh, type of treatment. So then it's affordable uh, for nearly everybody. So such a device could be um, uh, located in a pharmacy or in a drugstore uh, for um, uh, for fast testing, even to find out if there's any problem with tick-borne diseases, yes or no. If yes, um, it's uh, definitely recommended to keep in contact with a physician uh, for the next step. Uh, but um, at the very beginning, uh, such a tool could be very supportive and beneficial for many, many, many patients. Wow. Well, I wish you absolutely all the best with that because we all have to benefit from it. So. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. Um, I really honor your work. I think it's absolutely marvelous. You're helping so many people with a subject that I know has been very contentious um, and probably still is and maybe for quite a while. But just raising our awareness and, of course, offering wonderful treatment options for, for these horrible diseases. So thank you. I have well, some little questions that I always ask all of my guests right at the very end. And we'll tie up with those so I can let you get back to your patients. And the first of those is the word health. How do you personally define health? So health is a condition where you feel um, very well without any uh, restrictions or uh, being in a good mood, um, having no problem with any symptoms and complaints. And um, so um, keep it simple. If you feel very well, then you are in good health. That sounds great. I love that. <laughs> and what about happiness? We always say here that, that the oh, that, mind that is also is very important. So how yeah, this is definitely very important, uh, you know, and this is one of the challenges for a patient uh, with these chronic health conditions. They have very big problem uh, with mood swings uh, because, you know, um, they are trying for mostly longer longer time, so sometimes months or sometimes years uh, to get support and they are contacting many uh, different doctors but it will feel um, uh, uh, normally um, in uh, uh, in some countries and that could uh, really uh, lead to a loss of happiness and happiness is um, also uh, um, uh, very important uh, to get faster uh, improvement regarding all your chronic uh, health uh, issues. <laughs> Great. And if you're happy, you have a lot more of so-called endorf uh, endorphins, and uh, that leads um, uh, really uh, uh, to a better working immune function. And uh, this is exactly what these patients will need. So that's prescribed by <laughs> Dr. Nicholas prescribes happiness. <laughs> yeah, uh, if I could, so I would do. <laughs> And the last one is serenity. I always say that in this mad, crazy world that we live in, serenity is a word that's often forgotten, that that opportunity to just be and be quiet and, and turn down the noise. What do you do? Do you have a special practice to gain those moments of serenity? Yeah, no. Uh, so um, so I'm, I'm a fighter. 
Yeah, and um, I never accepted uh, all the uh, these bad conditions in my surroundings. When I noticed very early that there's something going on, especially in this uh, specific medical field, um, um, it so it wasn't um, uh, possible for me to accept uh, these conditions, and um, um, I, I won't accept it for the future. Um, so um, as soon as I noticed that there's something going on in the wrong direction, I started immediately um, uh, to fight um, uh, for uh, for um, for better conditions and for a better life. Uh, it's not acceptable for me uh, to say um, a patient um, there's no uh, there's no support, um, there's no diagnostic, there's no treatment. Uh, that's not right. If you want to support patient, uh, you have the chance to do so. Great. Wonderful. Well, many, many thanks. And I very much appreciate it. And I'm sure that all our listeners will have learned a whole lot today that's going to be really useful for them. Thank you. I have also to thank you for that um, very interesting talk today. And my hope is um, that um, uh, you uh, will spread uh, this information to many, many followers and that they could learn or can get some information uh, to make things even better. And um, again, I appreciate your time uh, for this talk and it was a pleasure for me. Our pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. So, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, Dr. Nicholas gave us a most amazing amount of information about Lyme disease, about the symptoms and about the treatment. So be very careful. Check yourself. Go out. Enjoy nature. Don't shy away from it. We've brought so many episodes to show you that that's actually a really good thing to do. But just be mindful. Um, check your children. Check your pets. Um, and also, if you do suspect that you may have the disease, please go see your GP and keep annoying them if they don't give you what you want straight away. And perhaps if not, then look elsewhere. We'll provide um, all of the links to Dr. Nicholas's clinic um, on the bottom of the podcast. And I'm sure they can they can help you in finding more information should you deem that necessary. Well, hopefully we'll see you all next time or hear you, have you all listening in next time on the next episode of London Heal. And until then, please rate, review us on iTunes. Very important. Check out our Facebook page, like our Facebook page. And also I will be opening up a Facebook group within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully you will all come and be part of our London Heal community. And in order to facilitate that the best way, please Sign on to our list at londonheal.com where you'll get a weekly newsletter with the episode, extended episode notes, and we're introducing more and more features all of the time. So thank you so much for listening. See you next time. And until then, wishing you all health, happiness, and serenity. <laughs>